If you are a guest with us this morning, uh, I want to welcome you once again to Providence Road. Uh, my name is Blake Hilgenfeld, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and we are very grateful and thankful that you're here with us this Memorial Day weekend. If you are a guest, uh, we have been going through a series on the book of Romans, and so we have been going verse by verse, chapter by chapter in the book of Romans, and we find ourselves this morning in Romans chapter 8, and we're going to be in verses 31 through 39 this morning. So uh, I invite you to turn with me there, Romans chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there's one maybe on your seat, the seat next to you. The verses will eventually be up on the screen as well. Uh, if you need help finding where the book of Romans is, if you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, you can go to the very table of contents or ask a friend that brought you and they can tell you how to, how to find the book of Romans in chapter 8. So let's start reading in verse 31. Paul writes this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, this is good stuff. This is amazing stuff. So let's pray real quick, and then we'll jump into this glorious truth that God's Word lays before us. Let's pray. Father, we once again come before you. We ask that you would move in a mighty way among us this morning. Father, that we, through your Spirit, would have eyes to see the greatness of who you are. That, Father, not just our minds, but our souls and the deepest part within us would see the glorious truth that you are for us in Christ Jesus in all things. And that nothing, Father, nothing in all of the earth, nothing, nothing, uh, no, no power seen or unseen can ever separate us from your love in Christ Jesus. So, Father, may that truth give our souls great rest this morning. May that truth give us great assurance and security and your powerful love that you have for us in Christ Jesus. And may this truth cause us, Father, to worship you, to worship your Son, to worship the Holy Spirit in greater ways this morning, that we would be greater worshipers of you and that we would in turn be for each other as you are for us. So, Father, come and have your way with us. Holy Spirit, move in a great and mighty way. Give us eyes to see. Convict our hearts where it needs to be convicted and help us to see the glorious and beauty of Jesus, our Savior. We ask this in his name. Amen. So I just want to be honest with you right out from the gate of this, uh, this time this morning. There is this question that oftentimes haunts my soul. And I'm willing to bet that at some point in your life, this question has haunted your soul too. It's a, it's a question uh, that comes into our lives when oftentimes we least expect it. And we hope that this question often kind of leaves us quickly, but oftentimes it stays with us and it begins to whisper in our ears. At times, this question keeps us up at night. At times, this question can be paralyzing uh, for our souls. But oftentimes, this, uh, this question that comes into our hearts, into our minds, comes when we least expect it. It comes in times of pain. It comes in times of darkness. 
It comes in times of silence. It comes in times of accusation. And when this question comes into our hearts, into our lives, it feels like this crushing weight that is upon our soul. And to be honest with you, I have wrestled with this question this week. I've walked alongside some of you who are wrestling with this question as well. And I'm willing to bet that there are many of us here this morning who are wrestling with this question this morning. And it is the question, is God for me or is he against me? Be honest, have you ever wrestled with this question? Has that question ever came into your heart, into your soul, into your mind, and has caused you to ask the question, is God really for me or is he against me? Our passage this morning takes us and we come face to face with this question. And as one of your pastors here, I've been praying for all of us this week that we would hear the answer to this question loud and clear. And by God's grace, our, our, our souls, not just our minds, but the deepest part within us would hear the most freeing words that we could ever hear, that we would hear the most freeing truths that our souls could ever cling to. And that is God is for us in all things, in all things, in our pain, in our uncertainty, in our trials, in our tribulations, in all circumstances of life. If you are in Christ this morning, God is for you in all things, and therefore nothing can ever come against you. So this is where God's taken us this morning. He's taking us to see not only is he for us, but he's taking us to see the depths of his powerful love for us in Christ Jesus that in turn, in hope, that we would find great assurance this morning, that we would find great security this morning, that would carry us through the darkest times in our lives. Because listen, the Christian life isn't necessarily your best life now. You will go through tribulations, we will go through trials, and when those times come in the darkest part of our lives, guys, what are we going to cling to? It's this truth, this glorious truth, that God is for us in all things. And if he is for us, then what or who can ever, ever be against us? So this is what we're going to see this morning. And this is what our heart, hearts and souls need because as we're going to see, God wants us to find him to be our rock solid assurance and security because everything else is just simply sinking sand. He is the only foundation that we can stand on. So this is where we're going. All right, so let's start in verse 31. Paul writes this, he says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So this is what Paul is doing. He, he has is, he is just laid before us everything above verse 31. He has laid out these glorious theological truths that we find in Jesus. These things, he says. So he's been reflecting on these things. He's been laying these things out for the church in Rome and for us, Christians, those who are in Christ, these glorious truths, these things, Paul says, which has caused his soul basically to burst into worship and, and, and lay out this glorious truth which says, in these things, if God is for us, therefore, what can ever be against us? So let's just stop for just a moment. And think about these things. Let, let us think about how God is for you. If you are in Christ Jesus this morning, how is he for you? Think about how he foreknew you in Christ before the foundation of the world. I mean, think about it. If you are in Christ this morning, think about the way in which he knew that he was going to save you, that he was going to redeem you, that he was going to reconcile you back to himself through his son, Jesus Christ, before he even created you, before you even existed. He knew that he was going to bring you in Christ and bring salvation to you. He knew before you were even born how he was going to conform you into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. He predetermined, Paul says, he, he predestined that those who are in Christ will be conformed to the image of his son. You will be. You will be. And think about 
The time in your life when you were rebelling against this God and he called you from death to life. He rose your life out of the death from the grave and he gave you life when you were not even pursuing him. You had no desire for him. But at some point, if you are a Christian this, this morning, he came to you. He called you to himself. You heard his voice. He convicted you of your sin. And the Holy Spirit gave you eyes to see the glorious truths of Jesus as irresistible irresistible and you came to Jesus and what did you find? You found the forgiveness of your sin. You found this perfect righteousness that God offers to you in Jesus. And so when you came to him, he washed away all of your sin through his blood and through his death on the cross and he covered you with this perfect righteousness. So therefore now, even though you are unrighteous, God declares you and sees you as righteous in his son, Jesus Christ. God did this for you. He did this. And nothing, 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 nothing can ever stop him from glorifying you with his glory one day. If he's called you, he has justified you, and he will glorify you. That is the truth. These things, Paul says, this this glorious chain of God's sovereign grace in your life reveals that God is infinitely for you this morning. He's infinite for you. So guys, how precious are these words? That God is for you. There are no greater words for our souls to hear and to feel and to know that the infinite, holy, righteous God is for you this morning. Because think about this just just for a moment. Think about the opposite of this. If it's glorious news that he's for us, then think about what actually should cause our souls to fear and despair than to hear the words that God is against you. There is nothing worse than to have the infinite, holy, righteous God being against you. And so there's two realities for the human race. We will either live forever with God against us, or we will live forever with God for us. And apart from Christ, the former is true. When every single one of us were born into this world, we were born, Paul says, by nature, children of wrath. So when we are born to this world, every single human being, when you're born to this world, we are born into sin, and sin is simply being against God. So therefore, when every single human being is born to this world, we're born into sin, we are born against God, therefore, God is against us. If you remember back in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Paul says that sin came into the world through one man, and that man is Adam. And so as a result of that sin, it, death spread, it saturated the heart of every single human being that is ever born and death spread to all men because we all sinned in him. So what that means is, is that when you are born into this world, you are born automatically into Adam and you have his disobedience, you have his sin, and therefore you have his condemnation. Every single one of us. We talked about this several weeks ago. That when you and I are born in this world, we are born connected to our representative, him being Adam, and therefore we have his sin, his disobedience, and his condemnation is your condemnation, and his condemnation is my condemnation. And so when we are born into this world, we are born into this dreadful reality of being born into sin against God and him being against us. And so this truth, this reality, this bad news if we don't understand this bad news, if we don't get this bad news, if this bad news doesn't weigh on our hearts and our souls, then the good news will never be good news, will it? The glorious truth that God is for us in Christ Jesus will never be good news if we don't understand the reality for those of us who are apart from Jesus Christ. Because listen, there is only one safe place. There's only one safe place for a human being. There's only one safe place to ever hear that God say to us, I am for you and I will never be against you. And that one safe place is Christ alone. That's it. And so, if you are in Christ this morning, guys, let this truth cause your hearts to burst into worship. 
Let this truth that God is for you cause you to find unspeakable freedom and joy in that truth this morning that the almighty, righteous, holy, magnificent God is for you in all things. He's for you. And if he's for you, he will never ever be against you. And if he's for you, what can come against you? He's forever on your side. So listen very carefully. What this means for us this morning and every moment of our lives, if we are in Christ and God is certainly for us, as one author says this, he says, listen, none of your sickness that ever comes into your life is ever a judgment from a condemning judge. None of our broken cars or failed appliances is now punishment from God. I mean, how often do we times we feel like when trials and tribulations come in our lives, we feel like maybe it's God punishing us for something that we have done. That's not true. He is always for you. Marital strife is not a sign of God's wrath against your sin. Wayward children is not like a crack of God's whip of his, of his retribution towards your sin. Lost jobs isn't a penalty for for sin because listen if you are in Christ God is always 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 for you not against you in all things in all things so this is your reality if you are in Christ now why is that important for us this morning because we're prone to not believe this right what are we prone to do We are prone to let our circumstances and our situations define our reality rather than letting God's word define our reality, right? According to verse 35, look at it. Will we face tribulation in this life? Yes. As Christians, will we face distress in this life? Yes. Will we face persecution? Yes. Will we face are our lives being threatened? Yes. Or will, will, our, will, will we be in need or will we be in loss? Yes. And when that happens, when those trials, when those tribulations come into our life, what's going to happen to us? Are we still going to believe that in those trials and in those tribulations that God is for us? Or are we going to let fear, are we going to let doubt creep in and begin to cause us to ask the question, God, are you really for me or are you against me? Listen, when accusations come into your life like flaming arrows, when afflictions come into your life, what seems to be like a raging forest fire, the temptation, guys, if you, if you don't know this, the temptation that, that goes on in our hearts and mind will be to let our present circumstances and situations tell us that, no, God is not for us. Otherwise, I would be not going through these tribulations. I would not be going through these trials. I would be not facing this suffering if he's ultimately for us. But he says, no, we're going to be going through those times. If you're a Christian, it's not like you're, you're going to be removed from present suffering and present afflictions. The Christians in Rome that Paul is writing to, their lives are being threatened as a result of being followers of Jesus. So in those moments, guys, when, when the only thing that you can taste, the only thing that you can touch, the only thing that you can see is darkness, is suffering. And you feel like in many ways God has deserted you, that he's nowhere to be found. All you kind of have left is just silence from God. What is going to carry you through the darkest times of your life? It's this promise. It's the promise of Romans 8, 31, that God is for us in all things, even in our suffering, even in our trials and tribulations. And so listen, when all hope seems to be lost, there's hope. Why? Because God is for us. When darkness seems to to overcome your life, there is hope. Why? Because God is for us. When When the fire of affliction comes into your life like a raging forest fire, there is hope. Why, guys? Because God is for us. And if God is for us, who can ever be against us? The Christian life isn't easy, but it's secure. It's not easy, but it's secure because we have the infinite, holy, righteous God always being for us. And that is good news, isn't it? That's good news, isn't it? It's amazing news that the God of all creation is always, always for us and he's not against us. Now, how can we be so sure? 
I mean, there was still maybe a little bit of doubt creeping in, right? Like, how, what is the ultimate evidence that God is for us in all circumstances of life? Look at verse 32. Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, here's the evidence. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? How can we be so sure that in all circumstances of life, God is always for us? How can we be confident that we can overcome any obstacle that is in our life? The answer to this question is because God has overcome our greatest obstacle, and that is he obtained the salvation of our souls. He did that. Not us. For we could not do this for ourselves. No matter how hard we try, there is nothing that we could do to remove ourselves from underneath the condemnation that we have within our own sin and being connected to Adam. There's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that I can do. No matter how hard we try to, to, to try to gain this righteousness or this, uh, this, this morality or good behavior to have uh, enough righteousness stored up to become, to be in the presence of a holy and righteous God, it's impossible. You can't do it. There is no way for you and to me for to, to measure up to God's standards. And there's nothing that we can do to remove ourselves from being under the wrath of God and to be, to be punished for the sin that we rightly deserve. There's nothing that we can do apart from Jesus Christ to do that. But God did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He sent his one only son who lived a perfect life for you and for me. He lived a perfectly righteous life and he obeyed the Father perfectly, which none of us have ever done. And now he offers to us this perfect righteousness is not of our own. It's an alien righteousness. It's outside of ourselves that we could actually receive as a free gift. And when we receive this free gift of righteousness of Jesus Christ, God accepts us and declares us as righteous, even though we are unrighteous. And not only that, but God delivered his son. He delivered him over to death. He delivered him over to mockery. He delivered him over to torture. He delivered him over to a sin-bearing death so that he could take our condemnation upon himself and he received the punishment that we all rightly deserve. And for those who are in Christ, we are now free from ever receiving the penalty of our sin, which is death. God did this for us, guys. He did this. He obtained the salvation of our souls by not sparing his one and only son. I have a son. And if you're a parent in here, you know that there's no love like the love that you have for a kiddo. And ever since I've become a father, the story of Abraham and Isaac has taken on a deeper reality and meaning. And, and many of you know the story. If you don't, I'm about to tell you the story. Abraham, Old Testament, back in Genesis, 75 years old. God comes to Abraham and says, hey, Abraham, I'm going to make you a promise. You are going to be a great nation. I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be in a great nation. But listen, the problem was Abraham didn't have any kiddos. It's kind of hard to make him into a great nation if you don't have any kids. So God says, hey, I'm going to change all that, and I'm going to give you a child. The promise is I'm going to give you a son. And so 25 years later, when Abraham was 100 years old, so he had to wait 25 years for the promise. So when he was 100, his wife Sarah gave birth to their son Isaac, 100 years old. I know that sounds crazy. Abraham and Sarah thought it was crazy too. They spent many nights laughing at its craziness. But at that point, when that child was born, that child became the love and delight of his father's heart. And I can totally understand. And if you're a parent, you understand that too. Especially when your first child was born in the hospital, holding that child, rocking that child, feeding that child. Your love for that child has only intensified over the years. And the same was true with Abraham. 
Isaac was his greatest delight. He, his love for, for Isaac grew and it, and, it, and it intensified. He delighted in his son more than anything else. As he saw his son grow, he only had hopes and dreams for his son as he grew older. But listen, one day the unthinkable happened. God comes to Abraham and he says in Genesis chapter 22, verse 2, he says, I want you to take your son. Your one and only son, Isaac, whom you love, whom you delight in, who is the treasure of your life, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains in which I tell you. And so scripture tells us, the story tells us that, that Abraham rose up early the next morning and he takes Isaac to the mountain. But what the story doesn't tell us is what actually happened that night. We don't know what happened, but we can only imagine, can't we? We can only imagine what was going through the heart of Abraham as he was looking upon his son peacefully sleeping that night knowing what was going to happen the next day. I mean, all of Abraham's hopes and dreams for his son were just simply crushed. I'm sure that there was not another painful night, another, another rustling of a night, probably ever since the, the, the garden with Jesus. That that night, Abraham, just thinking about what was coming the next day, the thought of losing his son, the thought of, 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 of having to give his son up. I mean, if only he could take his place, right? If, if only Abraham could take the place of Isaac and spare his son, he would do that. But at some point throughout the night, I'm not sure how he did it, but, the, but he made up his mind and he was going to go. He was going to obey what the Lord had told him to do. And so the next day he goes and he takes his son. He places the, the wood for the altar on the back of his son. And they, and they make this walk towards the mountain. Abraham has a knife in one hand. And he has the, 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 the materials to, to build a fire in the other hand. And so they, they walk along the path to this mountain. It's only the son and the old man. And I'm sure it was the most painful, excruciating, longest walk in Abraham's life. And so they get to this place where God says, this is it. This is where you're going to build the altar. And so he begins to build the altar and he places uh, the wood on it and then he takes his son. And he places his son on the altar. And he takes the knife in one hand and I, I, I can just imagine this, this tear streaming down Abraham's face and his hand is just trembling knowing that he's about to, to take the life of his son. And just about the time that he takes the life of his son, the angel Lord comes to him and says, Abraham, Abraham, do not lay a hand on this boy. Don't touch this boy. For I know, seeing what you've done, I know that, that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Listen, Isaac was spared. And when he looked up, when Abraham looked up, he saw a ram that was caught in the thorns, and he takes the ram, and he sacrifices the ram instead of his son. And Abraham calls that place the Lord will provide, and the Lord provided for Abraham. And listen very carefully. He has provided for you and for me, but here is the difference. God did not spare his only son, but he gave him up for you and me. Unlike Isaac, Jesus was not saved at the cross. Instead, God poured out his wrath to satisfy his justice in order to forgive us of all of our sin. The precious son, the one only son, the infinite valuable son of God, Jesus Christ, went to the cross and God did not spare him, but he crushed him. And Jesus Christ bore our condemnation so that we could be ever free from condemnation. Guys, if God did this, if God did not spare his one and only son, if God did not spare the infinite valuable son, the, the, the son who was infinitely value, valuable more than any other son who was ever born, will he not freely give us all things? If God did not withhold his son, is he going to withhold anything good from us? The answer is absolutely not, guys. That's the evidence. That is the evidence in our trials and tribulations and circumstances and situations that God is always for us. So listen, what this means for us this morning is that if God gave up his precious prized possession to provide for our greatest need, can we or will we not trust him in everything in our lives? Can we not trust him? 
I mean, if he overcame our greatest obstacle in obtaining the salvation of our soul, is there anything too great for God to overcome in our life? Listen very carefully. The wood of the altar and the wood of the cross tells us that God is for us in all things. And it screams loud and clear that God is generous. He is so generous towards us. He doesn't limit his love towards us. He doesn't ration his generosity. Humans do that. We do that towards others. We hold back our generosity, don't we? We put limits on our love for one. We have conditions on our love, but not God. He freely gives. And so what this means for you this morning, if you are in Christ, whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, whatever you face tomorrow, the wooden cross that held the infinite valuable son of God tells us that God is always for us. He is always, 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 always for us in all things. And we can trust him. And we can not let our circumstances and situations define our reality, but let this truth define a reality that if you're in Christ, God is always for us. And listen, not as he always for us, and that is such good news, but also how this applies to our life as well is if God is for us, shouldn't we be for each other? I mean, if God is for us, how could we ever be against each other? Listen, the, the church should be a people who are radically for each other, right? I mean, we should be a, a people who are radically for each other despite the way in which we look or the way in which we may not have it all together because, listen, God isn't for you because of the way in which you look or the way in which you behave or the way in which you think or may not have it all together. He, he, that's not the way that he works, he is for you simply because he graciously chooses to be for you. And our lives should reflect this as well. And so when we come into this place every, every single Sunday, are we being for each other by reaching out to those who we don't know? As we come into this place, are we being for each other by loving those who may not look like us, who we've never met? In your marriages, are, are you being for your spouse? In all things, are, are you generously pouring yourself out to love and serve your spouse with no strings attached? God loved and served us with no strings attached. Now, if he did this for us, how can we not do that for another? In our missional communities, are, are we radically being for each other? Are we encouraging one another? Are we, are, we, are we pursuing and being encouraging to each other, even if we may not have it all together? Are we showing love and grace even when someone has, has done us wrong, maybe? Or are we willing to give up our own possessions to serve someone in need? Maybe offering a, a room in our house for someone who need, may, may need a place to stay? This, this week, I, I saw this beautiful picture of the church being a reflection, an image of our generous God. There was someone within the church who knows a colleague who has been riding to work all year long, an hour and a half one way. So three-hour trip. Just imagine you having to ride your bike to and from work, an hour and a half one way, in the rain and the freezing cold. And so this need was brought up to several people within the church. This, 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 this colleague wanted to find a place that was close to work. And so... Many people within the church generously gave to help this person find a place to stay. And they found him a place just a mile away from his work. And, and we generously gave our possessions, our, our money, even though we've, we've never met this gentleman. I mean, isn't this a beautiful picture of the gospel? Isn't this a, a beautiful picture of the church reflecting the image of our generous God? Guys, this is what our city needs to see. This is what our church needs to see. This is what our marriages need to see. This is what, uh, this is what our own, own souls need to see. We need to see and be reminded of how great and glorious our God is, that he is always for us in all things, in all things. So we too would reflect that in our marriages, in this church, and in this city. But listen, what we also need to see, what we also need to be reminded is not only is God for us, but nothing can ever separate us from his love. Nothing. 
Nothing can ever separate us from God. Let's look at verse 33. So not only is God for us, but nothing can separate us from him. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? As Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor death nor anything else in all the creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Guys, listen, I'm convinced of this. That the greatest weapon that the enemy of God can use to cause you, God's people, the church, can cause you to question if God is for you is the accusation of guilt and shame. It's accusation. As one author says, the principal work of Satan in the life of the believer is not temptation, though he is actively engaged in that. It is accusation. This is what the enemy tries to do. He keeps reminding you of your sin. He keeps up telling us of our shortcomings. He tries to bring against you every accusation that he can possibly can. For here's the reality. This is what happens in your life. If the enemy can keep you in guilt and shame, then what happens? You will not be tasting the freedom and the joy that God has purchased for you in his son, Jesus Christ. And if you're not tasting that, then Jesus will not be seen as glorious in your life. And actually, then you'll be robbing him of his glory and you'll not be worshiping as he rightly deserves. And therefore, you will actually become very ineffective in telling the city and your neighbors about how great and glorious God is. All because of accusation. All because you're doubting. And you're doubting the security. You're doubting the assurance of God's love for you in Christ Jesus, all because of accusation. And so this is what Paul is doing. In these verses, Paul is taking us back into the courtroom of heaven. And what do you hear? Do you hear accusation? Do do you see your sin? Do you see your shame? Do you see your failures? Do you see your shortcomings being brought against you? Do you hear condemnation? The answer is no. If you are in Christ Jesus, you don't hear any accusation. You don't hear any charge against you. Because, listen, any charge or any accusation is simply impossible. Why? Because the verdict is already in. It's already in this morning. If you are in Christ Jesus, the verdict is already in. God has justified you. He's justified you. And if God has, un- if God has justified you, what's he going to do? Is he going to one day unjustify you? Absolutely not. And more than that, there's only one person who can condemn. And who is that person? That person is Jesus Christ. But he cannot condemn believers in him. Why? Because he bore your condemnation. He died for ungodly sinners. And he was raised for your justification. And he is even now interceding on your behalf. And if Christ Jesus has done this for you, is he going to turn around and then condemn you? Absolutely not. Guys, do you see how great and glorious our Savior Jesus Christ is? You see that. Listen, God's deepest desire, his deepest delight is to bring glory to his son as the secure and sufficient savior that he is. The father wants the son to shine as the savior of sinners. And so our hearts so desperately need to see this glorious truth this morning that nothing can ever separate us from God's love for us in Christ Jesus. Nothing. He'll never let you go. There is nothing that can separate you from him. So listen, whatever you fear, whatever you fear the most, 
I mean, you, you, you fill in the blank. What is that? What is, what is that which causes your heart to fear? Is it death? Is it persecution? What is it that causes your heart to fear? Whatever that is, whatever that is, even that cannot separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And when our souls see how great of a Savior and sufficient Savior and a secure Savior that Jesus Christ is, he gets the fame that he rightly deserves and we become greater worshipers of him and he gets the glory and this is what, this love is what causes our souls to worship but it's also this love, this secure and powerful love that we have in Christ that secures our souls even in the darkest of nights. So the question is, what are you listening to this morning? What are you listening to? Do you find yourself doubting God's love for you? If you are in Christ and you are doubting God's love for you, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, that is the demonstration of his love. God demonstrated his love, not that we have loved him, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. He sent his son to redeem us. He sent his son to satisfy his wrath towards us so that we could be forever forgiven. What love is this? Do you find yourself listening to the accusations of the enemy? Is he bringing up past sin in your life? Is he bringing up past shame? Is he bringing up past failures and past regrets and past shortcomings? Then listen, if that's for you, if that's you this morning, then you need to remember that the verdict is already in. Even now, Christ pleads your case before the Father and the evidence in that courtroom is not your failures. The evidence against you is not your sin. The evidence against you is not your shortcomings or your failures or regrets or past mistakes, nor is it your good works of righteousness. The evidence that is for you in the courtroom today and tomorrow and all the way into eternity, and when you stand before your holy and righteous judge, the evidence that is for you is the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ. And, and our souls need to cling to this, guys. Our souls need to cling to this glorious truth because it's this glorious truth that causes us to worship and causes our hearts to burst as it did Paul to worship. To, to worship. And, it, and it causes us to sing this glorious truth when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. Upward I look and see him there who made it into all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free, for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Is that good news? Is that good news? It's glorious news, guys. It's glorious news. And this is the news that we need to cling to. Because trials and tribulations will come. There'll be times in your life where circumstances and situations tell you that God isn't for you. But this truth, this glorious passage tells us that God is for us in all things. Again, the Christian life isn't easy. But we have someone who is always for us, the great and magnificent God of all creation, who is working all things for our good. And this is the glorious truth for those who are in Christ. But listen very carefully. If you find yourself this morning never believing upon Jesus, if, you, if you've come into this place and, and maybe you don't consider yourself a Christian, then you need to remind yourself this morning, then you need to hear loud and clear that God invites you to come to the only safe place. And that is the person of Jesus Christ. And he invites you this morning to come and hear the most glorious words that you can ever hear. I am for you. And listen, if you come, you will find Jesus to be the sufficient Savior. You will find that, that your sin is not greater than his love. And nothing can keep you from his love other than your refusal to come to Jesus. Because as scripture tells us, whoever believes in him is not condemned. 
But whoever does not believe is condemned already because you have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. That is where you are at this morning if you are not in Christ, and that's horrific news. It's horrific news because the reality for you this morning is that God is against you. That you are still under condemnation. But the most glorious news that you could ever hear is that there's only one person who can condemn and that is Christ Jesus, but there's also one person that can justify and that is Christ Jesus too. And if you come to him this morning, you will find him to be the great savior that you so desperately need. Do you hear his voice this morning? Do you hear him calling you to himself? Then if you hear his voice, then come. And God will forever be for you and not against you. Guys, this is the glorious truth that we have in Christ alone, that he is always for us. And that is the best news our souls could ever hear. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful and thankful for this truth and the reality that we find ourselves to be true in Jesus. To be honest, at times, Father, it's, it's hard for me to believe this truth that you are for me. And so, Father, I, even this morning, I confess the coldness of my heart, I confess the hardness of my heart that prevents me from seeing the glorious truth that you are for us in all things. And so, Father, we ask that you'll continue to, to give us eyes to see, that you'll continue to soften our hearts, that you'll continue to help us to see this glorious truth that you are for us in all things. And if you are for us, who can ever be against us? For we know that, Father, in times of tribulation, and times of the unknown, of the future, Father, we, we, we find ourselves struggling to believe that you are actually for us. And so, Father, we ask that even in those times, even if we face it this morning, if we face it this afternoon, if we face it tomorrow, that, Father, you will help us to cling to this beautiful and this wonderful truth that you are for us in all things. And take us to see Jesus. Take us to see the depths of your love, that you did not spare your own son, but you gave him up for us all. And if you overcame that obstacle in our life, is there anything too great for you to overcome in our lives? And the answer is no. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are a guest with us, this morning, um, we take the Lord's Supper every time that we gather. And the reason why we do that is because we feel like it is a, a great reminder every time we come in here, a great visible, visible reminder. We can, we can see it, we can taste it, we can touch it. And it's just a, a visible reminder of the love that God has for us in Christ Jesus. Because at times, we desperately need to touch, right? We desperately need to see. We desperately need to taste the goodness of God. Because there's times where we don't taste that. There's times where we face silence. There's times that we would give anything to visibly see. And so, as we gather as his people... We remind ourselves of what Christ Jesus has done for us. And so as he was gathering with his disciples before he went to the cross, he takes the bread and he tells his disciples, guys, this is my, this is my body, which is going to be broken for you. And then he takes the cup. And he says, this is my blood that's going to be poured out. It's going to be shed. And I'm going to willingly accomplish my father's mission. My father has sent me on a mission to redeem a people for him, for myself. I willingly, Jesus says, I willingly lay down my life for my sheep. 
kind of sounds at times that it's uh, kind of divine child abuse, right? Like the, the father is just giving over his son and crushing his son for, for you and me. But Jesus willingly gave up his life. He willingly went to the cross. He willingly had his body broken. He, he willingly shed his blood to redeem you and to redeem me. And so listen, this is what I want you to do. If you are in Christ this morning, if you're clinging to Jesus as your only hope of salvation, that you're looking to him to be the forgiveness of your sin, you're looking to him to be the righteousness that you need, like he, you're banking on him. Everything in your life is just banking on him to be your salvation. That's you. And that's, you're a Christian. That's what it means to be a Christian. Then I want you to spend some time reflecting on the love that God has for you in Christ Jesus. Look to the cross and see his love. And if you're in Christ this morning and maybe you're going through a dark night, maybe you feel like God is distant from you. Maybe you feel like he's silent. Let this serve as a visible reminder that he is with you and he loves you and he sent his son to redeem you and bring you to yourself. And if he has overcome the greatest obstacle in saving your soul, there is nothing too great in your life for him to overcome. He is for you. And let that truth sink deep within your soul. Ask the Holy Spirit to connect it to the deepest part of who you are. But listen, if you're here this morning and you're looking to something else other than Jesus to be your hope, you're looking to, to something else other than Jesus to be your security. You're looking to something else other than Jesus to be your savior. It's sinking sand. Because think about those things. Think, of the, think about those things that you are putting your hope in. Think about those things that you're looking to to be your security and your satisfaction and your significance. All of those things can be taken from you today. Your job. Marriage, being a spouse, being a father, being a mother. All of those things, all those identities that we look to to find our, our security and our hope and significance and satisfaction can be taken from you. But there's only one thing that cannot be taken from you, and that is your identity and found in Jesus Christ as your Savior. He is the only thing that is secure in this life. And if you come to him this morning, and you confess your sin to him, you confess your need for him, you will hear the most glorious words that you could ever hear, I am for you and nothing can separate you from him. So come, come to him. And if you come to him, then I invite you to come and take the Lord's Supper this morning. But if that's not you, if you're not ready for that, if you're still wrestling with that, if you're still struggling with that, then I just encourage you to stay where you're at and continue to reflect on what you heard this morning. But when everyone else is ready, if you are in Christ, I want you to come. There's two stations up front. When you're ready, come and take the Lord's Supper.